All right, hello and welcome to Realcom's first installment in our three-part Top of Mind series. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your Realcom host for today's webinar, all about ESG. I think you're gonna like this. Thank you for tuning in to the live session or viewing this as a recording. The format for this webinar is a, is a dynamic panel discussion with a lot fewer slides. So I do always suggest taking notes uh, in case you uh, need that. But uh, before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. Thank you again to our live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box on the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. We do wanna hear from you and don't hesitate to ask questions to this panel, they're a great resource. We'll try to get to all those questions, but if we don't get them answered during the webinar, we'll follow up with you once the event has concluded. If you look in the handout section, you'll find more detailed bios of our panelists and the slide deck with more information about our sponsors. For the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. You won't learn much about ESG watching Netflix's Captain Nova coming back in time to warn everyone on what they should do. Stick with us, you'll learn a whole lot more. If you're experiencing any technical issues with connectivity, sound, or video quality, the best thing to do is disconnect and then click on the webinar link again. You can also email ian at ithompson, that's I-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, at realcom.com for help during the event, but don't worry, you won't miss anything since you'll receive a link to the webinar recording later today. This educational webinar is supported by our outstanding sponsors. Prescriptive data enables buildings to hit their ESG goals by optimizing operational performance while saving energy, reducing carbon emissions, and lowering costs without sacrificing occupant health or comfort. And I have a short video for you to give a little bit more information about prescriptive data. Every building has a story to tell. What is your building saying, and who's listening? A building can be seen as a living thing. It consumes, breathes, circulates, senses, and produces waste. Buildings are comprised of different and complex subsystems, like elevators, security, fire safety, and HVAC that generate a ton of data. What are you doing with your data? What if you could visualize all of your data on an integrated mobile platform? What if today's data could prescribe and predict actions for tomorrow? What if you had situational awareness that could monetize these optimizations in real time? Your building has always had a heart in the engine room, but what if it had a brain? Introducing Nantum, the world's first operating system for the built environment. The new brain for your building. All right, and uh, our, our next sponsor, uh, we'll go with uh, RE Transform. Retransform is a professional services firm focused on helping real estate companies make smarter, more profitable decisions. They are recognized as a world leader in digital collaborations. Let's hear from their video. Secure. 
a digital twin platform for the built environment, which captures and displays sensory data from IoT devices, providing real-time insights into spaces. Secure allows for detailed information to be displayed comprehensively by offering map views of all linked devices and sensors, as well as graphs, heat maps, and even custom alerts and notifications. It monitors air quality, occupancy rates, water leaks, waste management, carbon emissions and overall energy consumption, keeping any space in an optimal condition and supporting ESG requirements. And finally, we have Yardi. They provide innovative industry-leading real estate investment and asset solutions for organizations of all sizes and asset classes globally. They're a connected tech platform that optimizes efficiencies, collaboration, and transparency from investor to lease. Let's hear a little bit more about Yardi. And, and just to wrap that up, we are definitely grateful for all the contributions by these vendors to our industry, to Realcom, and to helping us educate our viewers in sessions just like these. If you're ready to establish outstanding partnerships with vendor and consulting teams who really know ESG, performance issues, cost-saving strategies, I do recommend including these companies as part of your vendor evaluation process. All right, without further ado, let me bring on our moderator, uh, that is Mandy Whedon. She's founder and CEO of Feroz Real Estate Advisors. Welcome, Mandy. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Chuck. Oh, it's just, these are so exciting. I'm so glad you got a chance to do this with us. It's it, the, the ESG topic, uh, you know, I, I we didn't really discuss it, but I just thought it was just interesting. When I st started my career in commercial real estate, we were 10 years, 12 years ago, nobody's, that wasn't even a thing. But there must have been some trigger point that caused ESG. Is there one particular event or trigger that you, that you think might have caused this to be on everybody's radar? Well, I think it's a evolution. The concept of ESG began um, with the, elimination of stocks in stocks, particularly um, investors saying they didn't want to invest in companies that invested in South Africa during apartheid, right? And then it has evolved into screening for positive organizations. And we talked about corporate social responsibility and it has evolved. And now the umbrella that we use is ESG. I add R for resilience, environment, environmental, social governance and resilience. All right. While we're while we're thinking about the the subjects as a, as we're preparing for the webinar, let's get a real quick poll of our audience to see who we have in the audience today. So uh, we've included a lot of different uh, positions on this particular slide. It'll give us a sense of our live audience and then who's responding to some of the other uh, surveys and. Um, 
especially want to welcome anybody else uh, who's in here. I hope you can find one of the options that is available to you. All right, so hopefully that's not a hard question. Everybody can uh, chime in on what they believe uh, is repre good representation of their position. And then, uh, Ian, let's bring up the second poll on maturity. And this one, Mandy, might need a little bit of explanation. Do you want to do that? Sure. So let's start by level setting for the conversation. So what is ESGR? And when we talk about ESGR today, we're talking about a comprehensive approach to investing that applies a discipline of an ESGR framework to achieve both strong risk-adjusted returns and positive societal impact. You must have both of those things in order to meet the needs of today without sacrificing the future. And there are four interconnected pillars and they work together to deliver the results. At the core, it's about creating long-term value through managing risk, building resiliency, and providing transparency and accountability. And on this slide, you'll see ESGR and you'll also see greenhouse gas. And um, Chuck kindly pointed out to me, we had GHG in there because we use a lot of an acronyms. Real estate is really good at that, as well as the um, people who work in real estate and ESG. So there are a few yeah, other acronyms to share. Yeah, I think the other thing too on there, hopefully uh, any of our vendors uh, that are helping other companies, maybe they've just picked the the one that uh, the one that represents what they're seeing most in the industry. So, uh, you want to take a look at the results? Yes, please. Ready? Let's see who's in our audience, Ian. All right, so we have a good mix uh, 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 at the executive level. That's great to see on webinars like this because the information is is so good. Uh, I'm glad we have representation in the building engineering property manager space. Uh, those positions, as many of you have in your own title, ESG, and sometimes relying on uh, probably more on IT and, and marketing too. Uh, so I, I think a great mix there. All right. Any, did you have any comments about that, what you saw? No, I'm, uh, I second your comment that it's good to see a, a broad mix of participants, people who are here to learn. All right, let's see the uh, let's see where we are on the uh, maturity level. Ten percent okay. not started, um, and, and about a third each in each of the other categories. So I think that's going to be very interesting for your panel as you consider what people are are, are struggling with, what they're interested in. Uh, all right, thanks, Ian, for that, and. Uh, as you explore this topic in greater detail. So I'm going to go off camera. I'll join you towards the end. I'll help you out with, uh, and again, for our audience, for our live audience, don't be shy for this group. There are a lot of questions. There are a lot of questions that I had before we even started this webinar. So please don't be shy. We'll try to get uh, as many of your questions as we can. And Mandy, have a great session. We'll see you. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. So I would love to bring on our panelists and we'll start by inviting Colette Temink of Blue Sky or IBE to join us and introduce yourself, talk about what you do, how you um, engage with ESGR. And if you want, you can share a book that you've read recently or if you have a trigger word that um, 
you engage with in your work. Perfect. Thanks, Mandy. So I'm Colette Temming. I'm the Chief uh, Strategy and Product Officer for Blue Skyer. We're an advisory uh, firm that also provides services and software to help our clients kind of develop, implement, and report on their CRE or corporate real estate and ESG programs. And uh, I would say a, a book that I'm currently reading is really around sustainability. It's called Sustainability Strategies, How to Gain a Competitive Advantage. And apologize, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing his last name correctly. Uh, it's Nikos Avalonas and also George uh, Nassos uh, collectively wrote the book. So great read. Um, and we're excited to be here and hopefully we can answer any questions. It's nice to see that the audience is truly a a good blend of positions as well as where they are on their ESG journey. So hopefully we'll receive a lot of questions. Excellent. Welcome, Colette. I'm, I'm looking forward to learning from your perspective on working with the user side and the corporate side. Excellent. Okay. Next up, Joe Consalo with Yardi. Joe, join us, introduce yourself and share a little bit about your ESG experience as well as a book or a word. Great. Thanks, Mandy. Hello, everybody. My name is Joe Consolo. I'm principal of Yardy Energy's division, and I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia. <clears throat> and as you saw, Yardy is a real estate company focused on software from everything from investments to operations to energy. And so um, my, my experience with ESG has been with Yardy and companies prior to Yardy, focusing on helping people get off the ground. So from the ground level to get their start and then to go beyond um, into their experiences. And I wasn't surprised to see the poll questions. Um, about a third of the audience is getting into more advanced topics and about 70, 65-70% are still earlier in their journey, so not surprising. And um, and so I get the advantage of talking with dozens of clients a week um, with Yardy and get a real broad perspective, and that's about what I see. So my trigger word for ESG is spreadsheets. That's my trigger word. Okay, excellent. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, your perspective working with a broad swath of the real estate industry across different asset classes will be good insights for our discussion. Thank you. Okay, next, Tesh Patel of Prescriptive Data. Welcome, Tesh. Hi, thank you very much for the opportunity to be part of this panel today, Mandy. My name is Tesh Patel. I'm the VP of Sales for Prescriptive Data. We're headquartered here in New York City. We're a smart building operating system. We're a full-fledged software as a service company. And for those of you who might have joined late, we are a machine learning powered energy conservation software for commercial buildings. And prescriptive data helps owners of commercial real estate buildings lower their energy consumption and reduce operating and maintenance costs by maintaining a healthy indoor climate. And I think there are some key themes that we can all agree on. One, commercial real estate as an industry has a tremendous opportunity to make an impact by decreasing the carbon footprint. Number two, data has become increasingly critical in working towards carbon neutrality first and carbon net zero next. Third, leading real estate owners to leverage data to power those decision-making processes improving operations, and then following through on those ESG commitments. As a company, while we do do a whole bunch of things that folks are variously engaged with us on, from indoor air quality sensing to occupancy tracking sensing to property and casualty insurance premium optimization through leak detection. And as far as 
a trigger word or a book, I've recently ordered a copy of uh, Energy and Civilization, a History by an author, Vaclav Schmiel. So I'm excited to receive that and get started on it. So thank you again for uh, the opportunity, Mandy. Welcome, glad to have you. I love that you ordered a hard copy of that book. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking forward to um, learning from you on the, the technology implementation side and how you're seeing that happening. Okay, excellent. And last but not least is Anne Spulber with ReTransform. Welcome, Anne. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Anne. Um, I am uh, based in London and I am a product manager for uh, ReTransform. Um, ReTransform is a global technology solution provider uh, for uh, real estate um, owners and uh, companies. I am working on uh, three new platforms, uh, digital innovation platforms that um, help uh, real estate owners decarbonize their real estate assets and um, discover insights or untapped value through technology. Um, I'm working closely with the um, uh, sustainability uh, team in establishing uh, the best uh, frameworks uh, to drive um, sustainability and we have, uh, and I'm um, primarily helping them transition towards a circular and shared value um, uh, framework. And uh, my trigger word for um, ESG um, is um, uh, measurement frameworks and uh, data. Excellent. Welcome, ma'am. I'm looking forward to um, your innovation perspective and what that brings to the conversation. Great. Okay. And my name is Mandy Whedon, Frost Real Estate Advisors. I spent the last 20 plus years in the real estate investment management seat running billion dollar portfolios, working with teams who focused on using change as a value creation tool. And today at Frost, what that looks like is advising forward-thinking clients on positioning their real estate and positioning their teams to succeed, acknowledging the forces of technology, ESGR, and demographics and the best way forward for them. And my book is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Okay, excellent. Let's move into the discussion. So we'll start at the beginning with um, a conversation about understanding the broader context beyond just the current headline focus on energy and decarbonization. So what is a comprehensive ESTR plan and why should companies have one? And we'll start with Colette. Appreciate it. Um, so if you, if you think about the full picture of ESG, um, I'm going to start from the beginning, right? So around energy and kind of uh, GHG, that's around climate change, climate focus. ESG is broader than that, it's E, S, and G, right? So it's really around how companies treat the environment for the E, treat their stakeholders uh, for the S and the community, and then really the G is really how they govern um, and manage their organization in an ethical manner. So it's really that kind of um, three legs of a stool, comprehensive program, and then obviously adding uh, resiliency in there. Sometimes they include resiliency as part of G. Uh, I think in many organizations call it out separately, Mandy, as you indicated earlier. But looking at a holistic program, and, and if you think about the E, right, and E tends to be around sustainability, where you're looking at things um, that are inclusive of emissions, resource use, waste, 
the S or social includes areas like diversity, labor relations, health and safety, consumer safety. And then you have G, which is really includes ethics, kind of board diversity, and then also risk management. And so why do companies need a holistic program? Um, there are a lot of drivers to ESG, but I would say one is certainly the reputation of the organization. Many times ESG uh, provides cost savings, especially when you're looking at reducing consumption. In addition to revenue, obviously of products, et cetera. And we'll talk, I think a little bit about that uh, later on in this webinar, but you also have regulatory requirements. And then you have uh, obviously the interests of your clients, your customers and your investors. And so I think all of that together drive a broader ESG discussion and program. Excellent, thank you. Joe, is this a, a question where you wanna share some of your insights? Sure. Um, so, agree with everything Colette said about the program and drivers. Um, one of the main drivers that I see and why somebody should have or why a company should have an ESG program has to do with financially driven drivers. And there's a couple things here. So, besides regulation, financially driven drivers are from investors, people that are investing in your properties. And that could be European, could be domestic, could be um, banks. Um, and green loans as an example. And so that I see um, in many cases is one of the main drivers. And another one that people usually don't think about is a little bit longer term thinking and that is about the obsolescence. So when people think about real estate obsolescence, you typically think about financial or functional operations of a property and economical about the, the region and, and the kind of the neighborhood that you're in and so on. But I think as we go into the future, ESG is going to be another obsolescence category. And I think as you look at long-term asset value, you think about attracting investors. If you don't have a focus on ESG, your properties are going to be less attractive and it's going to cause the valuation of your properties to drop. And so you're not going to be attracting tenants, buyers, et cetera. And, um, and along the way, you're also going to be helping the environment. You're going to reduce your costs and the impact on the environment. And as we see with the regulations coming in, you're also going to be reducing risk of fines in the future because it's only getting stricter. Um, more and more jurisdictions are adding in requirements, and those requirements will then turn into, um, and right now it's kind of um, it's kind of a carrot, but it's soon going to turn into the stick where you're going to have to meet these requirements or else. And, um, you know, we've seen this um, in Europe and Netherlands is a great example. You can't even lease um, a property if you have a C rating or below, something like that. So, um, so I think you're going to see that more. Thank you. Okay. And so let's um, dig in a little bit, either within your own organizations or across your clients. What are some examples of specific ESGR commitments that you're seeing, specific targets with dates or commitments that move across all four pillars? And Anne, I'll start with you. Um, so um, our company um, has uh, is transitioning towards a shared value uh, model in terms of achieving um, ESG. As um, it has been mentioned, um, 
you know, the, the social deficits and environmental impact create economic costs for companies. The same community weaknesses affect company productivity and the social needs represents the largest unserved market opportunities. So this obviously brings a lot of opportunities for us in terms of like what products are we going to develop and how we can untap this uh, uh, value. Um, so. Uh, as a framework, we, we are using uh, United Nations uh, sus Sustainable Development Goals uh, because we wanted to have more specific goals that are falling under the ESG framework. Um, so as such, we are looking at, um, you know, in increasing, you know, diversity and inclusion in our company. So we uh, implementing new technology recruitment platforms that can remove biases, for example. Um, uh, another goal that is also aligned with the 17 uh, UN goals is to uh, uh, quality education for all. So we, as such, we are giving um, the possibility of like uh, people coming from affected communities to to be trained and to access our um, educational platform, uh, Remy. Uh, we have also, also other initiatives such as, um, you know, obtaining a, a net zero work environment for our employees. So our uh, buildings in Chicago and uh, Mumbai, they are uh, smart retrofitted. They um, are autonomous. We can track all our consumption and uh, we are trying to obtain net zero um, goals in by 2030. Uh, we have a CO2 calculator, a proprietary uh, software for that. And we are also looking at uh, ways to uh, do carbon offsets uh, to, ma to make sure that we are, we are achieving these goals. Um, we are looking at new products. Um, so, for example, uh, looking at uh, uh, small asset owners that cannot uh, onboard on the retrofit journey because of their cost and try to create aggregation products that can help uh, help them uh, improve their buildings and uh, also, you know, uh, obtain a sustainability. Um, we are looking at um, engineering our supply chain, uh, as, at how we are utilizing our resources, energy, our suppliers, logistics, uh, or improving the business environment. Um, so these are just a couple of like the ESG, ESG goals that we are uh, targeting, and we are trying to align ourselves with the uh, 17 UN um, development goals, and we are trying to uh, to cover all 17 of them. And if we cannot do that directly, we can try and partner with charities that are uh, uh, working on tackling those um, issues. Thank you. Thank you. Colette, how about you? What are you seeing on the specific side of the commitments? Yeah, just, I guess maybe because I have the, the book that I'm reading, Practical Sustainability uh, Strategies on my mind, but we think of it more of really, is it a, you know achievable, the goals that you're setting out, and are they affordable? And terminology is really important because we see organizations establish goals either at the corporate level where they're looking um, or making public statements around, you know, we're going to be net zero emissions, we're going to be carbon neutral, two different uh, objectives. In addition, some are setting it at the building level, right? Are we going to be a net zero building for energy, for carbon? Um, and, and that is very different in terms of the goals. And sometimes they're establishing goals like science, you know, science-based targets that include scope one, two, and three, and, and just a level set scope one, uh, obviously is a consumption um, from the organization. Two is really where that energy is, is generated. And three is a much bigger and includes your supply chain. And a lot of times that's 10 times higher um, on your carbon footprint. And so looking at the terminology that they're using and establishing goals is really important. But I would say the commitments really start with 
really in materiality, understanding material risks and opportunities of the organization at the corporate level, really. So start with that discussion, really engaging those stakeholders in that discussion. Calculate your baseline, know where you're starting from, and then set goals based on that. And in addition, how do you conduct a gap analysis, looking at different initiatives to close those gaps? and um, the data that's needed and making sure that it's an auditable program and then really establishing that kind of roadmap to achieving those goals and then measuring and setting KPIs and then obviously the reporting and where you're going to report either it's a corporate sustainability report or to a specific um, organization like GRES uh, and others so really take more of kind of a broader approach, but again, do it in a practical way that makes sense for the organization and it's affordable and achievable. Thank you. And Tesh, how about you? How are you seeing this play out? Sure, I, you know, I'll start with a client example and one specifically is a large Canadian REIT whom we're working with. And the reason I choose this specific client, if you look at the capability and maturity model, they're probably the furthest along at least through the purview of the prescriptive data lens, they've set a target, an aggressive target, to commit to net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2035. And so, you know, how do we take that beyond a marketing slide? They've determined it's in their best interest due to emerging risks and opportunities, including escalating carbon prices, expected prohibition of fossil fuels, given the challenges in Ukraine, subsidies on low carbon heating systems, greenhouse gas disclosures, and then zero emissions building regulations. Second, net zero assets that benefit from increased supply of low cost capital, the growth of sustainable debt markets, changing investor expectations, and then opportunities for assets to qualify for green fund inclusion and corporate carbon reduction commitments, increasing demand for low carbon tenant spaces. So what does this really mean from a tactical and execution perspective? They've structured their net zero action plan to be credible and demonstrate accountability by including four key pillars. One is target and milestones. So this client is committed to net zero scope one, two, and three, select scope three rather, greenhouse gas emissions, operational and development by 2035. Their net zero commitment also exceeds the timelines of the science-based target initiative, one of the leading frameworks for settling robust and credible net zero targets. And the SBTI is in line with the Paris Agreement's 2050 net zero goals, which defines the pace of emissions, uh, emission reductions rather, required to stay on track for a 1.5 Celsius degree future. The second pillar of that is investment boundary. So that defines the assets that will be managed in line with that commitment, the emissions boundary, which then defines the sources of those greenhouse gas emissions that will be managed in line with their commitment. And then a delivery strategy with actionable items that will be implemented to realize the commitment. And then the fourth pillar is oversight and transparency. So that process for communicating the progress on the commitment and then holding themselves accountable. So at an organizational level, their net zero strategy includes three key steps, which is identifying the current baseline emissions and then estimate what those future emissions are. And the second pillar of that is developing roadmaps to achieve net zero at a property level. And then lastly, establishing oversight and transparency to hold themselves accountable to stakeholders through comprehensive governance and reporting. Thank you. Helpful. I'm, I'm hearing some themes, roadmaps and actionable and um, really helpful. Joe, is there anything you'd like to share on this piece? Yeah, I'll keep this short, Mandy. There's just two main pieces and it, it kind of goes 
back to the basics and leadership. One is, I think that what I see companies doing is setting aggressive goals, and they're doing that for two reasons. Number one is it gets people to think differently and to find these solutions and not just be comfortable with the status quo. And then the other thing is what's measured improves and making sure that regardless of the KPIs you pick, regardless of the goals that you're picking, you're keeping those in the forefront of people's um, mind and keeping their attention on them and making sure that you're aligned up to the top of the organization, that you're driving it top down. And then that gets the buy-in from everyone down below. And with those aggressive goals, they're thinking differently and they're going to find creative solutions to meet those. And so that's what I would add. Thank you. Helpful. Okay. So given that perspective, what are some of the most impactful code word for difficult ESGR issues facing the commercial real estate and the building industry today? And how are leaders facing those um, and the solutions and the opportunities that they see? So um, Colette, you want to share? Sure. Um, so I guess put it in preface, are we looking at it globally or domestically? But I think um, one of the challenges is really companies are making investment decisions that have long-term consequences. And so how do they make those decisions around ESG and kind of where to begin and what to implement? So there, there are hundreds, if not thousands of things that you can implement from an, from an ESG perspective. And knowing, you know, is a lighting retrofit going to produce a, a greater impact or return to the organization than, you know, increasing increasing kind of the, the risk management or resiliency. And so looking across all of those initiatives that they can implement and making decisions, we've tended to make them in, I don't want to say haphazard, but, you know, we tend to implement programs that we know. So if we're an engineer and we really know energy, we may implement motion detectors and things that that really focus on energy, but maybe haven't looked at the broader opportunities that could be implemented. Um, given the finite resources and capital that an organization has, how they make those decisions is, is important and again, has consequences to the organization. I would say impactful areas, certainly, I think Joe brought these up, regulatory um, is changing on a global scale um, and understanding how to implement. And sometimes those regulatory requirements can be you know beyond where technology is from a cost perspective and so we do need technology solutions bright minds coming into this industry and helping us achieve net zero um, in a in a you know timeful manner around buildings i would say in, in addition you know climate resiliency we can look you know just recently what's happening in florida and really what what is uh that risk associated with our portfolio and understanding that and how to how to mitigate some of that risk. So that's it. Joe and Tesh, anything you want to add to that? Um, I would say as far as challenges go, I'll, I'm going to talk about a specific sector. So in office space is an example. In a post-pandemic workforce, you have a lot of people working from home. You have a lot of companies evaluating their footprint and the space that are required. And so you see a lot of hoteling and that's challenging kind of the traditional office environment. And so as we go into the future, we're seeing trends of where um, hoteling is going to become a bigger piece. And if you think about the way buildings are set up, um, you're typically leasing an entire office space. Let's talk about it as a floor of a building. 
And so you turn on the whole floor. All the HVC comes on, the lighting comes on, you might have timers on lights, but they're still on. And so if you think about it, that space is only 50% scheduled for the day. Can I locate people in 50% of the space and not even turn on the other 50%? And so as we think about moving into the future in the office space, you need the buildings and the infrastructure to catch up with the way that the workforce is going to be working in those. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that I see coming. I think building on both Colette and Joe's response, right? I mean, that the natural extension of that is occupancy informed startup and shutdowns, right? So if you look at building subsystems like HVAC, how do you optimize those controls to then really sort of move the needle on energy reduction? And Anne? Um, I think some of the points I wanted to add have already been covered. Um, I would just add that um, one of the big challenges that I see is like um, obtaining uh, high quality data. Um, as we've already mentioned, for many organizations, um, ESG data is walled in departments or siloed, um, which makes the line of impact from ESG activity to financial outcome hard to draw. Um, so obtaining this data and uh, identifying all the, the data points that you need to, to, to be able to have a, a, a good overview of your impact, I think th this is a, a challenge. And I think uh, in, in, in this regard, technology can, can help organizations achieve their goals. Um, another issue I have um, identified, I, I have seen in, in many big organizations is that they have these high level ESG goals. Uh, but they don't have more specific indication of how departments uh, can implement these goals and how they should collaborate. So as such, I've seen that many departments work on ESG goals separately, but they don't collaborate with the other department. And as such, you can't have a, an overview of all the impact that you as a company have. Um, so having a, a collective, a, a platform where you can centralize all this data, uh, I think it would be uh, really important to, to be able to have uh, good measures and, and uh, metrics for ESG. Okay, so the two points I'm going to take out of that are technology solutions and data. So let's start with the technology solutions. We'll talk about how technology plays a role in our um, ESG strategy. So what are some examples that are in practice today around how technology advances um, are helping evolve the real estate industry, not just solving a problem, but I'm looking for the, the arc of evolution. So let, Anne, you wanna share? Uh, sure, so uh, first technology can help you collect the data. Um, so, uh, and having an overview of like how fragmented your data is, you know, how many data points are missing and, you know, how can you achieve those ones? It can help you, you know, meet the regulatory bodies requirements by, uh, you know, accreditation and benchmarking against their data. Um, it can help, uh, you know, improve the user experience uh, for, um, you know, a, a building occupiers, for example, and as such, increasing the, you know, the, the valuation of the, the property and the, and the revenues. Um, it can help you uh, decarbonize or re reduce the CO2 emissions by electrification, uh, by uh, energy efficiency, and, um, you know, creating by, by creating autonomous buildings that can, uh, you know, um, have 
take all your data from your building and create um, um, autonomous sy uh, system to, to ensure that you don't uh, have any waste and in the same time it can give you insights of where you can improve uh, so you can you know track down the energy consumption it can give you insights where do you consume more it can give you like a, a co2 footprint it can tell you where if your uh, what is your waste level and how to optimize that and uh, the same for um, for other you know ESG measures. Um, another opportunity I see is the matching of the energy supply with the energy demand, and maybe uh, through the uh, aid of technology, you can change the behavior um, of consumers so that, for example, um, they can uh, you don't have the um, um, energy blackouts uh, by uh, you know telling them you know where they can you know start uh, by automating their um, IoT devices. So for example, if you have a washing machine, you can turn it on you know during the night where the cost of energy is lower and there is uh, enough energy supply from green sources. Um, other um, um, solution I have seen uh, it's, um, it's, it's this company that is basically building a data center in the um, in in the basement of the building so this data center they um, release a lot of heat so they use that heat to to heat up the buildings and um, you know uh, reduce their energy consumption um, then is the there is a lot of um, uh, there are a lot of solutions around the retrofit technology. So you have on one side the digitalization of the building and on the other side you have the material science. So looking at obtaining a passive design and, and that in conjunction with the digitalization of the, the building, uh, digitalization of the building that can help you um, um, obtain autonomous building, energy efficient and uh, resource efficient. Um, then through technology, you can also keep track of all your consumption and uh, perhaps supplying circular principles in, in the way you consume or recycle uh, the resources. Uh, so these are just some of the uh, some of the, the ideas that come to my mind in terms of how technology can can help uh, CRE um, uh, drive um, sustainability goals. Thank you. And Joe, how about you? What are you seeing? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to speak to the 70% of our audience who's just getting started or who's just starting to accelerate. And there's so many things that um, people are focused on in terms of selling technologies, and, and there's a lot of things you could spend your money on. And I think one of the things to take a look at are technologies that can solve multiple problems. And making sure that you look for those and that can you can also build upon. And I'll give you an example. One of the biggest challenges is collecting data from sites. And we talked about this a little bit in terms of getting your whole building data for energy as an example. And so um, you can install meters in a building and collect that data. It's expensive to do that just to use for benchmarking and reporting. But if you also use it to set your baselines, monitor your building, track improvements, and then hold the gains of those improvements through alerts and notifications, it starts to add more value. And then if it's something where you can then tie it into AI in a building, let's say for HVAC automation and controls, um, and that then starts to add even more value. So I think it's looking for technology solutions that just are not point solutions, but they can help you and you can build upon it and solve multiple problems. 
Tesh, are there any solutions you see evolving the industry? Absolutely. And, you know, I think Anne sort of hit the nail on the head with data and Joe as well with 70% of our audience. You know, I think the core building block is data and we can take that data, turn it into information, which then becomes knowledge and then that becomes wisdom. So data lakes for ESGR reporting and requirements that are constantly evolving in businesses that are faced with increasing complexity and risk when consolidating those disparate financial, non-financial data to cohesively report on their ESG performance. And you have to make those trade-offs in terms of, or at least those decisions, what internal data sets are we going to onboard? What external data sets? And the second thing is IoT as an enabler to remove those barriers, as Joe mentioned, regarding installing meters on buildings. How do we take previously siloed systems in the built environment and then aggregate those into at least under a single pane of glass where we get a portfolio or an asset class level view? The third thing I would add to that is the near real-time uh, predictive analytics through the use of machine learning, AI for energy conservation and reduction, and as Ann noted, matching that supply with demand. And then the fourth thing to add, and this is a little bit further down the road, and we're seeing a rise in carbon accounting platforms utilizing blockchain technology geared towards scope three emissions. Thank you. Okay, let's dive deeper into the data because I can tell you that as uh, as a landlord and an owner, data is my trigger word because um, it depends on where you are in the capital stack, but the owner might have access to zero of the data that actually runs the building. Someone else does and someone else might think they own it as well. And then the tenant has a very strong argument that they actually own that data. So um, the other thing that um, makes it a trigger word is there's a lot of data out there that's messy and functionally useless, garbage in, garbage out. So it's getting the quality data that really matters and getting ownership of it. So understanding that data is a means to an end, data helps deliver better outcomes. Where should companies start and who should be on the teams that identify where to start about the data to collect and how that drives your ESG goals? ultimately driving your organization's performance. So Colette, you wanna share? Sure, so um, you, you know, you could certainly do a bottoms up approach around operations, right? I'm, I'm focused on many of the technologies around the reduction or aligning occupancy with the building systems or things like digital twins. And I think Joe and, and Anne um, said it eloquently well um, in the last question. You can also start with what's your strategy? What's your plan? What are you trying to affect or change? Or if you are planning on reporting, what is that data that you need? Um, and then what's the data governance program that you have in place? And then looking at, you know, in addition, am I getting actionable, you know, data? Do I need it in real time? Do I need it, you know, historically? And then, you know, how do I report that? And if you can automate that reporting, um, but I, I think looking at how you're operating the building in addition to what the overall organization is trying to achieve. And I think it goes, you know, Mandy, to your comment, who, who is operationally controlling the building, right? Is it the tenant that has the controls over shutting off the energy or is that the landlords? And, but more importantly, how are they gonna share that information and data? Because both of them um, can affect the reduction in energy and working together is gonna be critical. Thank you. Okay, so Joe, do you want to share from your 
perspective in the Yardi world? Yeah, so <clears throat> I would say that in general, getting, I'll give you an example of just electricity day. If we just took one commodity, just trying to say, what is my electricity use in the building? You think that would be an easy question for us to answer. How much electricity did you use last month, last year? It's really hard to answer that question, especially when you expand that out to an entire portfolio. And there's many challenges, like you mentioned, Mandy, about who owns the data, the tenants, the owners, the management companies. There's many people that think they have a claim to the data and are unwilling to share. And when you try to go get it from utility companies, not all utility companies can share that data. Either their systems are not capable or even if they are, they might be unwilling to share and, and so on. So anyway, one of the biggest challenges is just to get what I like to call the aggregated whole building data for a portfolio. It's achievable, it's possible, but it's a building by building, utility by utility or commodity by commodity solution. And I think that that's one of the biggest challenges we have because we just don't have the utility infrastructure and um, also, green leases are not in place everywhere, especially if it's intended controlled. So a lot of people are rolling those out, but it's going to take years to implement those, especially in the industrial space where those go on for, it could be a decade as an example, and um, especially if you have a triple net tenant. So I think that's the biggest challenge. It's overcomable. It's possible. You just have to have creative solutions to get there. And um and it would be really great if all the utilities around the globe would all get on the same page and be able to say, yep, everybody needs this data, here you go. It's not that simple. Yeah, so technology is helping to solve this in many places. Yeah, there are a lot of stakeholders at play in the data, in the data pond. Tesh, what's your experience? From our experience, you know, we find that energy savings is what moves the needle the most, but then that also really is geographic specific, right? In terms of what are energy prices like in certain markets like the Northeast and the West Coast versus the Sun Belt, where energy pricing is cheaper by KWH. So is that really going to move the needle? And as Colette alluded earlier, it really kind of starts out with that bottom up approach and understanding, right? Like what are our strategies? How are we going to achieve carbon net neutrality? And then looking at sort of you know, is it going to be energy management? Is it going to be carbon emission? Is it going to be waste management? But from a built environment perspective, um, you know, I think energy uh, reduction, we look at it, I think it was CBRE that threw the stat out that the built environment, most buildings consume um, or are responsible for emitting, um, accounting for four, almost 40% of all global carbon emissions. And, you know, I think that's really where we can focus the needle on. But again, how do we break down those silos in a more effective and efficient way that takes us out of this building by building sort of uh, approach and we can really begin to address things at an asset class or at a portfolio level. Excellent. And Anne, is there anything on the data side that you want to share? Um, so I, I, I think most of the points have been already covered, but I guess it, it, it starts with the goal of the client. So what is their goal is if it's to, you know, decarbonize their, you know, real estate assets or to um, increase the value of your assets. So if, you, if we start just by the first example, uh, then you have to consider what are all the contributors to the CO2 emissions of the building and then map out all the data points and then see how you can create 
how you can collect uh, all those data points in a centralized platform and then go from there in, and assess the quality of your data. Um, I think one of the big issues now is that um, most of the asset owners they they have some data but is uh, isolated so they either have data on the energy but they don't have it in correlation with the occupancy of the building or the water consumption so it's really hard to have like efficiencies of scale if you don't have all the data in one platform and if you can't assess the quality of your data and then you also have other external resources and then data points that you are not even aware that they are contributing to the to, to your metrics um, so it's not a very straightforward answer, but I think it involves the collaboration of all the departments and the stakeholder in, in, into the goal. Thank you. Okay, so um, let's take another tack for this conversation. So recognizing that the people who are um, viewing this webinar live are also at different points in their journey. We also know that countries, industries, markets, companies are all at different places along that adoption curve. And there are competing interests to capital. And we have an uncertain economic environment. So what are some of the specific industries or specific segments within commercial real estate that are not yet engaged, um, not yet bought in, and who functionally consider themselves priced out or timed out from implementing ESG? And Joe, how about you share? You start. Sure. Yeah, so if I had to talk about one segment, I would call it the industrial segment is going to be the most challenging, is the most challenged. And why do I say that? So in industrial, you have the highest percentage of triple net leases, where they have the least control of the building. Those have a tendency to be long leases, and we already talked about the data privacy and the ownership. That's also a challenge there. They also have thinner margins. And so when it comes to making investments in the building, it's tough for them to recoup their expenses because there's less money to go around and they have to really pick and choose what they do. So um, I think that's going to be um, in the segment that's going to be kind of straggling behind. Not that there's not a desire there. It's more about the financials and, and the ability to drive change. Thank you. Colette, what are you seeing in your space? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't underestimate that ESG programs can actually produce savings, right, inefficiencies, especially if you're looking at new technologies, smart building technologies, digital twins. And, and so approaching it from that perspective, there are many things that organizations can do, um, and they may want to focus on those areas that are low cost, no cost, um, ones that produce savings and efficiencies. And then I also look at it from the perspective of, you know, having a holistic ESG program does uh, enable you to attract and retain customers, clients, investors, you know, employees, et cetera. So to, to look at when you're developing that strategy, again, going to the materiality, where are the risks and opportunities for an organization and where should they focus in implementing these programs, irrespective of what industry they're in, um, they are occupying real estate um, and working with them on creating that plan. In addition to the green leasing, you know, with their landlords and, and criteria that they're using to occupy those buildings. Yeah, I'm seeing the least adoption or the slowest adoption, I should say, in suburban markets and markets where there's not um, existing regulation or looming regulation. Um, and then I see it 
functionally in the assets where the time period for the ownership of that asset has an actual clock that's ticking down to zero. So if you know that your asset needs to be sold in the next two years or year, um, if you're in a closed end fund or in your a structure where you don't have dollars to invest, it's really hard to figure out how to do it. But the the fact of the matter is, um, if you just look at supply and demand, if the demand requires that you have a building that's in high performance or performs to some standard that that tenant needs from an ESG perspective, and your building doesn't comply, the supply and demand curve, right? Lower demand for your product means a lower price. And that's hard to live with because um, we're in the middle of the transition, right? We're in the messy middle of it. So it'll be curious um, and interesting to see how we move forward on that. Okay. Yeah, great point. And Joe brought it, um, at least touched upon it earlier, right? If, if in fact, um, you're not making investments and you're seeing regulatory like he saw in Europe, where you, you, it's gonna affect the value of your building and occupants moving into your building. And then to your point, if they have two or three years left on the ownership of that, they're gonna to have to sell it. Um, that's gonna impact the value. And so it is, it is looking at that time frame. you're absolutely right. So let's talk about that um, investment, the capital investment in a building infrastructure, the technology investment to support um, that goals or the demands of your user where do you see owners and how do you see them engaging with that is it a concerted integrated effort is it a one-off solution are there still just a pile of pilots happening out there and then i'd really like to hear about where you're hearing from owners investors users talking about roi and payback because the premise of ESG and the facts of the results of ESG is you get a better result, um, better risk-adjusted returns. So how are they accomplishing that and how are they measuring it? So Anne, I'll start with you. You wanna come off mute? Um, hi, sorry, I was um, on mute. Um, so it has been a quite challenging um, uh, topic because a lot of the owners, um, they they are bought into the ESG uh, implementation and they can clearly see the value that they can get through through this um, um, strategy. Uh, however, the high um, initial costs uh, make them, you know, postpone this journey unless they are forced by regulation to 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 embark on this journey. Um, so what I see here is that um, a lot of like um, technology solutions, uh, you know, came with a proposition that where uh, there are no initial um, capital investment, but then they get the value back through the um, uh, cost reduction that they uh, they obtain. So for example, if they manage to obtain a reduction of like 30% in the costs, you know, they can have like a, a percentage of that reduction, um, and then more and more, um, uh, you know business uh, models appear to to be to to support um, owners with the the high capital uh, investment initial investments and uh, to 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 help them you know board on this journey tash what are you seeing uh fundamentally believe it's an integrated technology approach um 
point solutions, often unless they're addressing a very specific utility or function with considerable amount of ROI, they usually end up getting shelved and the adoption curve really kind of uh, gets blunted. So with energy, again, as we've been talking about as the biggest cost and man managing that energy load for commercial buildings and making them more responsive to the electrical grid, um, we're seeing five or six major drivers uh, that are pushing owners to focus on sustainability. Uh, first, it's investors that are rewarding sustainability. Uh, second, it's consumers that are demanding transparency around climate, which is pushing tenants as a third driver to go into carbon zero and carbon negative as they set those goals. Um, fourth, uh, regulations as a driving force. So Berto 2.0 in Boston, Local Law 97 in New York, BEPS in DC, St. Louis, uh, Denver, Washington. Um, and then fifth, there's an increased risk with energy prices, specifically seeing a lot in Boston, for example, uh, there's a big challenge for real estate owners to understand or even predict what their energy costs will be. And then six, uh, last but not least, we do have the actual change of weather uh, and its unpredictability, as we've seen in Florida this week. Um, we're seeing more and more hot days every single summer, uh, further stressing the energy grid, leading to more what's called demand response days. Um, from an ROI and payback perspective, um, you know, I'll just sort of say that uh, this was something that we released in BizNow today. The General Services Administration, who's a client of ours, found it could save millions of dollars in energy costs by implementing smart systems that control energy use in that real time at certain sites. So the proof that existing technology does make a true impact, we were able to see a 5 to 11% energy savings, and that's saving the GSA up to $28.7 million annually, which is a lot of taxpayer money. And when you paired this with cost share incentive programs like NYSERDA, um, that 20 to 33% return um, for RTEM type of project expenses, um, you know, we do see that there is a, a really good ROI and you could use that to measure payback. Thank you. Yeah, I saw the article and I'm very happy to see GSA engage. But I have to tell you, I read the article in the end, it said, and then GSA turned it off because the pilot was over. And I was like, no, I know. burn something we can't get back. And let's see, um, who else wants to dig into this question? I mean, I'll touch upon it in the sense of, you know, going back to what I said, there, there are so many things that an organization can implement and understanding which ones are going to give them the greatest impact and making those decisions in a, in a scientific way um, and looking more broadly. Um, and I think you touched upon it, right? Is it technology integration or is it point solutions? I think we're seeing more organizations saying there's more value in integrating, right? To test to your point, if I can see weather and I can adjust my building accordingly, I'm gonna save energy. If I can see occupancy, to Joe's point earlier, and, and my building is adjusting for that occupancy, that's integrating the technology, right? Are you integrating sensors that are monitoring occupancy with your building systems? And I think integration of different building systems and technologies we're gonna see more and more of. And I think that's gonna roll up to the performance level as well, right? Do you have those real-time dashboards where you can see that information and have actionable, um, you know, things that you can take to actually influence the energy that you're consuming? And more importantly, are you looking more broadly than just energy, right? We're talking about waste, we're talking about water, we're talking about a whole host of different programs um, across the building. Joe? Um, <clears throat> I'll use an example of a 
point solution. So uh, ideally you want to have solutions that can be more integrated, but I've also seen where point solutions can be valuable to an organization. And um, I'll give you an example, working with a client, they need to get data. They are spending six, seven figures on just getting data because the impact is it's a seven to eight figure impact if they lose their green loans because they don't have their data across their portfolio. So we always want to go and try to find things that can fit together and are more integrated, but sometimes a point solution is the right one for an organization, depending on kind of what their goals and objectives are. But I just thought that was, um, it was an interesting case study that I ran into that is, uh, that is um, probably not as unique as it sounds. Helpful. Yeah. Okay. So our, um, so we're the first part of RealCom's top of mind series which is about where we are today and what we can expect in the future. So what do you see on the horizon for the commercial real estate industry at this intersection of ESG and technology? And Tesh, we'll start with you. So I'd like to go completely future state and come back to those carbon accounting platforms and the adoption of blockchain. Um, I think it was a recent, maybe it was a Deloitte consulting estimate that the global trading uh, market could be worth 22 trillion by 2050. So banks can play a fundamental role in expanding these markets through their expertise as market makers, commodities traders, and uh, operators of back-end services and infrastructure. Some financial institutions are exploring buying and selling carbon credits through blockchain. Um, they could also be tokenized for easier tracking and verification of carbon offsetting activities and then banks could facilitate trading and settlement of those carbonized tokens, both in primary and secondary markets, and then participate in issuing traceable green bonds and developing new securitization instruments uh, based on that cash flow of future electricity sales. Okay, I like the futuristic approach. Anne, do you want to share your perspective on what's on the horizon? Um, so I, I guess the technology advancements are enhancing the value proposition of the retrofit tech te um, solutions for real estate owners and operators. And the evolution of these uh, technologies, um, they can reduce the upfront hardware investment, uh, labor intensity, and the time taken to realize meaningful energy cost savings. Um, an example would be the evolution of the IoT sensor hardware and the technology. Um, so over the past years, uh, you know, there, there was a rapidly declining uh, uh, price for uh, sensors, which enabled, uh, you know, startups to minimize upfront adoption costs, uh, while improvements in the design and sensitivity of the, uh, of the sensors increased the solution accuracy. Um, then you have other, um, you know, the the 3D model data capturing and processing and rendering uh, is cheaper and easier for implementation. And in the same time, material science and innovations are starting to reach uh, commercialization. Um, so I would see a, lot of, um, a much uh, a quicker adoption of this uh, tech solution to, to um, reduce the, the cost, the initial costs and improve the, the efficiency of the, of the buildings. Um, in the same time, there will be also 
um, uh, opportunities for uh, small asset owners to embark on the on this journey by uh, uh, aggregation solutions, where you know um, different um, um, asset owners with uh, similar properties they can uh, it join and you know reduce the risk that is uh, often um, a problem with uh, investors when it comes to this type of uh, asset owners. Um, I guess this is these are some ideas of like what I do see at the horizon for the for the prop tech solutions. Thank you, Joe. How about you? What's on our horizon? So um, I talked about a couple that I think are, and just as a reminder, you know, I think where the question was about where ESG and technology, where's that intersection coming together, and. Let's just talk about the office space example example again and making sure occupancy and HVAC systems and just overall systems that use energy work together. Um, and, you know, another thing I would say is that you continue to see increasing regulation. And so, like, the, for example, the entire state of New Jersey, you see that as an example, um, a recent one. And so it's it's only becoming stricter. So for that 10% of the audience, it's not out of the starting gate yet. Um, you know, things are coming to a theater near you, so I would get started soon um, and um, stay ahead of it. Because if you don't stay ahead of it, you're going to risk obsolescence on the back end. Excellent. And Colette, what do you see at that intersection? You know, so many organizations are going through digital transformation. Um, and I'll go back to Tess, your point of, you know, how do we start automating the tracking of carbon. Um, and then add to your point in really using kind of smart building technology and improving operations, more automation of our buildings. That becomes, you know, eventually kind of business as usual, right? Are we gonna see more ERP systems <clears throat> consolidating more ESG technology, right? Are we gonna start to see, you know, these point solutions coming together under one umbrella and then it becomes, you know, similar to our accounting systems in our organizations and how we manage that from an operational perspective. So um, I, I think we're at the beginning of this journey. And I think there's a lot of uh, bright minds putting technology together um, from different different perspectives and different angles. Um, and it's going to be fun to watch over the next few years. OK, so um, well, let's talk about the importance of adaptability, flexibility, and curiosity across organizations to thrive in this disruption and age of digital transformation. What are you seeing um, the mindset shifts or how are people framing the opportunity and how they're curious? Um, and Colette, I'll start with you because I feel like the users might be leading us um, pushing and then um, they're not the only ones, but they're part of it. Certainly, and they're, you know, as many produce products and services for uh, customers, um, and it really starts kind of there at the ground level. I, I would say it varies um, uh, across the globe as well, right? To your earlier point, um, they are more advanced in certain areas of the globe than others, um, and they're in different perspectives, right? If is energy um, the focus in certain parts of the globe, Maybe we have a little bit more social um, or diversity uh, in the states. And so looking at that kind of more broadly and how that comes together around a global program um, and how are organizations going to thrive in that? 
um, recognizing that they're getting pulled in many different directions when they're looking at a global program. Thank you. Who else has a perspective on either internally or what you're seeing with your clients on that mindset of curiosity and agility? You know, again, I think this kind of. Sorry, oh, sorry, Joe. Do, go ahead. You go, Tash. Thank you. Um, again, you know, I think this comes down to regulations as a driving force and then also the rise in energy prices. Uh, paired with that, we are also in the market seeing the rise of innovation councils within many of our clients who are now really kind of fleshing that strategy out, whether it's geographic based or whether it's on a sort of a global basis. And, you know, how do you sort of get everybody aligned when priorities are different from either country to country, or continent to continent? Um, so those are really some of the things that we're seeing from from our side in terms of uh, optimizing the built environment. Joe? Yeah, I was going to say that um, I see um, a lot of fishing going on. There's um, people are always looking for ideas. And I'll give you an example. If you get a request for information as a pro for a proposal of what can you do, how can you help us, or a request for a proposal, there is usually everything in the kitchen sink in there related to ESG. And I think it's because people are trying to search for who's got what capabilities, what are you doing that's new that I don't know about, how much is it going to cost, and then trying to work their way through a funnel. So I think there's a lot of fishing going on. And it's all good because everyone's looking for ideas of kind of what to do next. And, um, and setting those aggressive goals are forcing people to do these things, which is great. Okay. Well, the other thing I wanted to touch on before I ask a well, and I'll remind the audience, please put your questions in the Q&A. Well, we would love to hear from you, have this group of experts answer um, your burning questions. And so before we do that, why don't you, um, each panelist, share with us, what's your takeaway? What's your action item that you recommend for the audience? And while you are answering that, they can share Q&A questions. And Colette, we'll start with you. The tip and advice is um, engage, right? Um, there, there is a lot that you can do. Frankly, you're probably already doing many things that will impact an ESG program that you may not be aware of in your organization. And so documenting kind of the things that you're already doing. Um, and then there, there are a lot of experts you can engage, but uh, I would start on that program and get ahead of it, um, both from understanding what's important to your organization what's the data that you need to achieve and whether you're starting out in the corporate real estate group or the property management side of the business there's a lot of things you could do low cost no cost um, and and produce value to the building um, or to the organization so engage nice okay joe what i like that term engage because I also think about engagement being the entire organization. So if you think about different people in the organization, they sit in different seats of the bus. Everybody has a different perspective and different ideas of how to help the program. And I think it's about that top-down commitment, but also the engagement of the entire organization and then a mechanism to bring that whole kind of thought process together into a holistic plan. And so really like that theme. 
Anne, what's your what's your takeaway? So, so what what are your um, frameworks to achieve um, ESG goals? Um, 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 uh, circular principles or shared value models are not charity uh, models, but sustainable business um, opportunities um, where the traditional market uh, meets the market failures. Um, and um, if we talk about ESG and reducing emission targets, we also talk about circularity and uh, technology. Excellent. And Tesh? Well, as a, as a takeaway, I think the right time to get started was yesterday, but today is better than tomorrow. Um, I think the key to that is really aligning on those reporting standards and then simplifying disclosure requirements from a data collection perspective, um, starting by understanding what's going to move the needle in a way that meets both fiduciary and environmental objectives. And then that's also including identifying those key stakeholders in which or who is more important? Is it about tenant retention? So they feel like their buildings have true intentions and is actionably moving towards reaching them? Is it about avoiding fines from local law 97 or Bordeaux or BEPS? Is it about meeting corporate mandated ESG targets? And then from a data perspective, it's about prioritizing those components or those buckets. Is it energy management, carbon emissions, waste management, health and safety, for example? So those would be uh, my, my key takeaways. And mine is, um, it's twofold, right? It's hire the experts to get started, like you've said. And the other is to go back to junior high or journalism 101 and ask the who, what, when, where, why, and how. Why are you doing it? What are you doing? Who's going to be doing it? How are you going to do it? And where do you apply it? And that builds your strategy to help you figure out where to get started. Because for a lot of organizations, it might feel like a mountain to climb, but you have to take your first step somewhere. So a few questions to pose um, to the panelists. One is, um, what are the top strategies that you're seeing to ensure that the S stays in the picture? and how it's not just a one-time review and it gets um, applied across the implementation. Um, and Colette, I'll start with you. And then if anybody else feels like they can answer that, just raise your hand and wave. Yeah, we're seeing goals around uh, S, right? Is it a certain percentage of diversity? Um, you know, your health and safety programs, et cetera. So it's this ongoing monitoring of S. And I, I probably turn it over to Anne. I know you're doing some great things on social value, right? Which is really how do you tie that to the profitability of an organization and mapping that out? So that might help. Anne, you want to pick that up? Um, well, um, the shared value proposition offer um, um, an answer to this because. Um, uh, shared value um, strategy looks at uh, societal uh, deficit and environmental impact and uh, that creates uh, economic costs for companies and, and looks for opportunities. So, you know, the community weaknesses affect the com uh, com company productivity. So if you look at new business models that untaps, uh, you know, this uh, disadvantaged communities, for example, uh, you, you solve both the social aspect of it, but you also, you know, um, achieve economic success. Um, the social needs represent the largest unserved uh, market opportunities. So it is, in fact, um, a sustainable business model uh, and it's not a, a, it's not a, a philanthropy uh, business model. 
So I would look at it as a as a, an opportunity to to create new business models uh, that will have a, a social impact, and 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 build that into the core of the the strategy of the company. Okay. Anybody else want to weigh in, or um, I have a couple more that have come in. Okay. One, um, I'm going to link back to what you uh, mentioned earlier, Joe, about sustainability loans and targets. And so, um, can the panelists share more about SLL, sustainability linked gold, sustainability linked loans, and or green bonds is another way we talk about it, and how that is structured and now it's tied specifically to outcomes and performance. Joe, since you brought it up, I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. Um, so, you know, what we're seeing is um, the advantage and you know, why people are interested in them in the first place has to do with lower interest rates. So you get a lower interest rate. That's one of the main things. Um, and so there's financial benefit there. But what comes with that is um, now you have to report and drive improvement in your properties, which I think is a, a great um, set of goals tied to that. So you, here's what you're going to get, but here's what we need from you. And that's really forcing people to make sure they're reporting with high quality data on time and, and, and accurate, obviously. But then also they can't just report, they've got to drive improvements. So, so with that is instead of paying money on your interest, you have to take that and put it back into your investment and invest in the property, invest in projects and so on to drive um, consumption, demand, greenhouse gas emissions down. And so that's what we're seeing. And, um, and we're actually seeing that work. We're seeing people make investments with the money that they're saving on the uh, interest loans. Anybody else seeing green bonds or sustainability linked loans as a driver? You know, at Prescriptive Data, you know, we are experts at leveraging all those available incentives and loans and setting records for those incentives. So, for example, we had talked about NYSERDA's R10 program and um, incentives that are uh, offered as a result of you know, meeting uh, some of those standards. And so that also helps drive uh, capital improvement. It helps with payback and return. Um, so I would say, at least from an incentive program, um, you know, we, we definitely um, see a lot of uh, value there. Colette, are you seeing any of the um, SLLs applied to DEI or diversity? I think it's um, a big, telecom company out of Europe that um, made a commitment to have X percentage of their leadership be diverse, and that's tied to sustainability financing that they put in place. Are you seeing that? I mean, I think more broadly, we're seeing certainly the, the capital flows around certain criteria, right, and what organizations are doing in ESG. I think, you know, whether it's on the lending side, or the corporate side of investors looking at organizations, right? You have to you don't have to look far to see the rating agencies around stock and shareholder value and evaluating ESG programs and how companies are implementing those. So I, I think we're seeing it um, on both both sides of the equation, right? Both on the investor side and on the corporate side. Excellent. Okay. And um, other questions around the Inflation Reduction Act 
and the money that has been targeted for that. Um, one thing I'm curious about is, uh, in addition to that question, layer on how the infrastructure, the electric grid, how in the US specifically, is either prepared for, capable to handle the electrification goals and targets or not, and if your owners are thinking about that. So that's a two-part question. Inflation Reduction Act spending and what you're seeing already or expecting, and then the grid, um, U.S. grid reliability and infrastructure and how your clients are engaging with that. Who wants to take that one? Happy to, to talk about the grid uh, a little bit. Uh, certainly, it, it's important, right? When you when you look at power outages, uh, whether that's in the West or things that are happening in certain states, it, it becomes resiliency for an organization, right? It's a top of mind discussion that impacts operations when um, energy um, stops. And so I think companies are, are definitely looking at that when, when we're looking at electrifying even more, right? We're seeing more EVs. Um, is that infrastructure of where that energy is being produced at the same capacity as what's being required. And I think companies are looking at that as well because it goes into resiliency and the risk of certain locations. Um, and so that, uh, and, there, and there are solutions, right? Some are looking at on-site solutions, some are looking at off-site solutions, microgrids, a whole host of things. And there are certainly brighter minds than myself coming up with solutions, but it is, a, it is something clearly that's uh, top of mind. I would say from the lens of prescriptive data, we offer a, we have a grid services offering and we work with our clients hand in hand for their demand response programs and also function as a, as a DR aggregator so that when that demand for electricity spikes, those grid operators can call on consumers to help reduce or shift that usage in response to time-based rates. And then you know through that DR process, those grid operators and electricity providers are building out demand response programs across the country and then changing the way that usage is billed to incentivize participation with the ultimate goal being to strengthen the integrity of the electric grid to ensure it can meet demand when power is most needed. Anybody else? I would say that um... The, one of the largest sources of electricity is natural gas-fired power plants. And so um, what we're seeing is just an overall higher demand for natural gas. And as a result, um, struggling to support electricity needs as well. So, and this is globally, right? So the U.S. is exporting a ton of natural gas these days. And, um, and, we're seeing our price of natural gas increase because you know supply and demand and then that's having an impact on electricity and so i think what it's doing is it's also helping to spawn investment in green energy so you know just like community solar or on-site solar as an example um, it's driving costs up which are then making projects more viable and i think we're going to see more of that Okay, let's layer in water to this, right? The parts of the world obviously um, have water as a natural resource and a limited resource. And then in the US, right, the Western half and the drought and water both as a resource for humans um, to consume 
and for agricultural to use to grow and for power generation. So what, um, what are you seeing along the lines of the water implications of water and out west particularly? I'm, I'm, I'm from the West, so I can tell you it's, it's an important uh, topic. We, we are seeing uh, conservation, um, you know, organizations looking at their water consumption, the risk associated with, with water um, availability, and, you know, certainly things like landscaping, um, how water is being used, gray water, reuse of water, uh, on site, all of those things are organizations are evaluating along with energy reductions, right? They're they're looking at should I reduce water consumption or energy, and which ones um, have that greater impact for my organization, and then looking at the risks associated with both of of energy interruptions or water interruptions as well. Yeah, to add in, I think think of two things when I think of. Um, water one of the best things that i've seen is hotels automatically saying yeah we're not going to be changing bed sheets every single day that you're here i think just that alone is saving tremendous amounts of water and and then also if you look at the difference between two cities takes tucson and phoenix tucson is a much more sustainable city because they're more natural in the way that things are and if you go to phoenix it's artificially green and it takes a lot of water to do that and so um so I think um, going back to nature and, and kind of more natural of what your environment is, is going to help. Excellent. Anybody else want to um, share before Chuck gives us the hook? <laughs> I would say from, a, from an overall data collection perspective, one of the subsystems that we do monitor are water meters and being able to then gauge at a, in a built environment what that water consumption looks like day over day, week over week, based on what the occupancy is in that building. And so if we can curtail some of that consumption and kind of put that back, and that really helps sort of um, with uh, water usage, um, especially in the West Coast. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you touched on the idea of infrastructure readiness, Mandy, because that was, immediately as soon as that came up uh, I just wanted to turn my camera on and just scream but because uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, when we see some of as and, and many of you mentioned these aggressive goals but at times sometimes I think we are seeing the goals and the regulations get ahead of their skis because of the infrastructure isn't ready and other people it, it starts to tend to leave a negative uh, thought in people's mind too. I saw we had a question from Kyle Haggerty asking about owners who have this lack of urgency or thinking that these targets are decades away and, and there's probably some level of, of balance to that. I know, you, I know you addressed some of that and I even brought up earlier in our discussions as in our planning that I've got clients that are suburban office that are struggling with tenants who are renegotiating their leases. And I think, Joe, you mentioned that earlier, where they're, they're concerned about foot, footprint, tenant improvements, costs, and those sort of things. But they, so, so they have only limited number of funds that they can, uh, that they can uh, dedicate to some of these things. So they can't have these aggressive goals. It doesn't, I don't know that it senses that they're not taking it seriously. You know, I think the, the sense of people who say, 
uh, you know, that'd be like a homeowner leaving their shower on in case a visitor comes over and wants to take a shower. So they just leave it on all the time. So, of course, no one would do that. But then I think, Tesh, to some of your capability, the AI, and I could pull up my phone and see what the weather's going to be like pretty accurately four hours from now. And if I had a uh, zoned HVAC system that could take that into account, it could be pretty, uh, pretty effective. So along with human movement. So you've covered a lot of ground. I think uh, uh, we're going to have to cut it off here. Uh, a lot going on. Uh, definitely want to thank you, Mandy, for moderating. Thanks to all of our panelists for your valuable contributions. Lots of information. I do hope the audience took notes. Uh, um, if you are viewing this as a recording, we are planning to put uh, the handouts uh, out on the page where the recording will be. I think that we can, can do that from a technical perspective. And whether you joined us live or watching this recording, thank you for tuning in. And be sure to register for our next Top of Mind series, that's What Does the Future Look Like? That's on October the 20th, followed by one rescheduled from the Next Generation Smart Building series that was in July. That's been rescheduled. It's Digital Twins, AI, and more. And we've combined even more AI information into that one. That's on the 27th. Do want to encourage you to register for Cortec. That's happening on November the 15th and 16th in uh, San Jose. A lot of great speakers. I've seen the preview of the agenda. I've helped uh, put some of that together. So that is so exciting uh, from a lot of these perspectives that have been discussed today. So uh, be sure uh, to check those out and be sure to stay with us. And uh, we do thank all of the followers of Realcom, all of our contributors. And uh, that's it for us today. We wish you well. Be safe. And uh, if you want to go see Captain Nova now on Netflix, you can do that. But I think you probably have learned a lot more here. All right, thank you all. We'll talk to you again. Thank you. Thank you.